This is your station, your music, the world famous WXIN. Providence, Rhode Island, USA. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Stadium Experience with your host, Jake Elms, and the show where we talk about the latest and greatest happenings in the world of sports here on 90.7 WXIN. I'm joined here by Josh Percy and about 40 minutes show we're gonna be getting job done with job godred of real sport 101.com calling in we have a lot we gotta talk about today first a very very personal matter to me also we have to talk about the red sox and the bad boy pitching staff leader returning to the team and then we have to talk about the patriots and what's been going on with them later on david cusack will be joining us we're gonna be talking about some uh some stuff that's been revolving around some people that I do not like. But anyway, if you want to join in and talk about any of these topics, don't be afraid to call in at 401-456-9946 or at 401-456-8787. Anyway, you are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. And with all that, we are going to dive right in. So for those of you who like a little bit of behind-the-scenes information, my phone right now is not, and I play all my music for the show off of my phone, my phone right now is not accepting, and this is not the personal matter, my phone right now is not accepting aux inputs unless I hold it in there. So during that entire segment, I had to look away from Josh and just try to keep that thing crammed in there, hoping that it wouldn't come out and stop the song mid-intro, but I think we got through it, so... Really powered through there, didn't you? Yeah, Jake? really, really, really shoved that in there, good and really, powered through. Right? Really, just made it happen. You, you know, at really first just, my phone didn't want it, but I just I kept it you going. Just forced it in there. Anyway, um, obviously, a lot of you who are my loyal listeners know that there's one man who just continuously steals my heart, builds me up, and then every time leaves me and hurts me. And of course, as I'm sure some of you might know, Andrew Bogut has signed with the Los Angeles Lakers to a one-year bet minimum contract after being linked to the Celtics following his medical clearance by, I don't know, doctors to start pursuing playing in the NFL, NBA again. So, as... I have to regrettably say before, I let myself get excited for Andrew Bogut. Everybody knows why I think he's a fit on the team. And once again, we're not getting him, Josh. We're not getting Andrew Bogut. And that's fine. No, it's not. It really does break my heart. But that means that the Celtics still have one open roster spot, which I still think, and part of the reason why I was excited for Andrew Bogut outside of personal bias was... This team, I still think they need one more big man. Right now, if the season was to begin, you know, their big men on the roster are Horford, Baines. Yeah. Then you get into, I mean, you have Yabu Selly, who's pretty big, but then your starting power forward to start the season is probably Marcus Morris. And he's not really the, he's small to be playing power forward. He's usually a three, but he could play at the four. So. But really, they only have two, maybe three true big men on this roster. So, especially with how old Horford is, I would have, I would like this team to probably bring in one more guy just to be, I don't know, just another big guy. I know they're not going to find a big old rebounder. I was hoping maybe Zizek could play that sort of role, but he's out. But just somebody else just play down low for 10, 15 minutes a game. Another guy I was into was Maurice Spates, who we realized yesterday signed with the Magic, which... I'm certain none of us, but 
Andrew Spaziano, obviously friend of the show, avid Magic fan. <laughs> not, not like Cassius Marsh. He's a fan of the, Orla- of the Orlando Magic, not the card game. But so Maurice Spates is off the table. And I just Tony Allen, who was another guy who was linked to the team. He doesn't fill that big man role, but he would be able to be a solid contributor in a different way, giving them a defensive presence, maybe in the starting lineup, off the bench, kind of offset, you know, Hayward, Kyrie, more offensive players. But Tony Allen obviously signed somewhere else. But here we are. So you start to wonder, I mean, Josh, are there any players out there who you would like to see the Celtics use for their 15th roster spot or maybe guys in the D-League or? Um, No. Just go with 14 people. They can't win with those cats anyways. Josh, get out of here. So if you look at it, I start to want. So I want to. God, this feels bad. Anyway, <laughs> I just think they could use one more big man. Obviously, there's nobody out there who's going to be a starter for them, or except for Andrew Bogut, or who's going to be, you know, some big time rim protector. But just, I don't know, just somebody else to eat minutes. So that way, as Horford gradually, hopefully, gracefully ages, he's not forced to play 40 minutes every night, which. You know, looking at this roster might be the case. Or maybe, I don't know, as much as I would throw up if this happened, maybe bring back Tyler Zeller. Nope, he signed somewhere. Oh, did he? Yes. Thank God. He My, did. I couldn't take that. I mean, you know, you look down the list of the free agent centers. Roy Hibbert. Yeah, no thanks. Tajio Splitter. Maybe. I think, uh, no, uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Roy Hibbert is a free agent. Okay, not, no thanks. Oh, uh, why not? You're, you're just using him to eat up some minutes. That's Rim fa- protector, he's like seven foot tall. That's fair. Okay, Roy Hibbert, Tajo Splitter, I don't know. There are guys out there they can use to fill that roster, but none of them will fill the hole in my heart for Andrew Bogut not being on the Celtics. You have a weird, um, very weird obsession with... I do. It's, it's been Bogut. cultivated by being on this program. Just Zaza gra- Pachulia. Did he resign? He did with- resign. Okay. Um, Mute Sprites but is I, signed. Maurice Spates. I was so excited to buy an Andrew Bogut Celtics jersey. What about a. N- oh, no, he's no, restricted. He's, no. But, I mean, I'm sure oh, that there. Isn't there um, a guy from Memphis who's still technically a restricted free agent? Is it Marcus Saul? No, not Marcus Saul. <laughs> Um, it's their power forward. Or did he sign? I mean, anybody who they'd bring in right now would be on either a vet min or some kind of exception. So no big names are going to be out there, but... Jamichael Green, that's who I was thinking Right. Of. I believe they re-signed him, or if not, he would cost money. Deadman that's re-signed true. with the Hawks. Noel, well, they didn't re-sign, he signed with the Hawks. Nerlens Noel, who was a guy I was kind of interested in, he re-signed on a one-year deal with the Magic, so... Obviously, there are options out there. Mavericks, pro- not Magic. Sorry, Ma- Mavericks. So, you know, they're probably going to end up... Ooh, Mavericks, you mean the uh, the original home of Andrew Bogut? All right, dude, stop. They're going to end up re-signing... I mean, they'll probably just re-sign... They'll probably just sign some European guy none of us have ever heard of. But oh, yeah, probably. Anyway, so that's it. You know, we haven't led the show off... Led the show off with Celtics for a while, which was a tradition for a long time. So, you know, just wanted to put that out there. Uh, Andrew Bogut, not a Celtic. Nope, that 15th roster spot still empty. Nobody will ever fill it the way Andrew Bogut could could for me. I don't know what Josh is doing. Josh is stepping out of the studio. But anyway, the next thing I wanted to move on to, something that's 
facing a team that's actually playing right now. The Boston Red Sox, obviously, playoffs are approaching in the MLB. And the Red Sox, the other day, they re- last week, I talked about this during the Radiothon for Houston at about 2 a.m., but David Price, obviously, has been reactivated to the active roster. He's had a couple of relief appearances. Now, a couple of very, very, very good relief appearances. He had one against Toronto the other night where he pitched two scoreless innings. He looked good. He had great control over the ball. His velocity looked good. He looked better than I thought he would look coming off of injury. And as we see this, once again, with playoffs approaching, the Red Sox seemingly are going to win the division. Uh, yeah. we'll, just, we'll, just, we'll talk about this with the assumption that they're going to win the division. They seem to just constantly keep that three-game lead on the Yankees, but we can discuss that too later if you want. But Assuming that they win the division, going into the LDS. Playing Houston. Maybe playing Houston. We have to start to, you start to wonder what's the playoff rotation for this team going to be. Obviously, at number one, you have Chris Sale. At number two, you have Drew Pomerantz. But then after that, you know, obviously in a first round series, you're really only going to need three or four guys. But, you know, now who's that fourth guy going to be? Do you go with Rick Porcello, who's been bad? Do you go with Doug Fister, who was looking very good for a while, but has put up two absolutely crap starts the last two times he's gone to the mound? Then you maybe have a Grotter Rodriguez. Or, and while when they reactivated David Price, my need, my first reaction was, no, don't put this guy back in the starting lineup. He's not ready. He's not ready for the playoffs. Play the hot hands. But A, you know, those hot hands have cooled off since my original thought. Doug Fister looked bad the last time he went up. Rick Porcello looked bad last, well, not last night, but the night before. And also David Price just looked better than I thought he would look. Relieving. So, I mean, there's value to keeping him in the bullpen, but this team needs starters, and you really need to get that down because, I mean, Josh, one bat, one really bad start by a pitcher in a playoff series can tank you because if you have a guy go out there, he gives up, you know, four or five runs in the first two and a half innings, you have to pull him, you have to then deplete your bullpen, that can screw you in a series. So you start to beg the question with this team. You probably, if you're me, or I mean, if, you're, if I'm Farrell, I just want to find the guy because you don't really have any sterling options. You just need to figure out who's a guy you can trust to go out there and at least eat up, I don't know, five or six innings and not puke all over himself. Basically, like, which guy do you think has the best chance to do that? And David Price. You think so? Because once again, like I said, I wouldn't have, I was wanted to keep David Price as far away from the starting lineup as soon as he got reactivated, but he's looked better but also his history in the playoffs. And that scares me. But I would I want it to be David Price from an entertainment perspective. Because after everything that's happened this season, it would just be the most it would just be it would be the f- most fun thing to talk about. Would be David Price going to the mound and either redeeming himself and showing, oh look, I wasn't oh, I was right to yell at the media. They all criticize me too much. Or, you know, see him throw up all over himself, look like he look look like he's looked in literally every other playoff start of his career, and we get to all point and laugh at him. That would also be fun. But Josh, you actually do think it would be David Price is the best guy for that third that third game in the first series? Uh no. No. Okay, okay, then, I mean, who do you go with, then? Do you go with Fister? Do you go with Porcello? Do you go with Erod? Depends on who ends the season hot. 
honestly, I'd probably throw Erod out there as three. Mm-hmm. Um, Porcello as four. And uh, Fister would be your type of guy, like if Porcello got lit yep. up in that first game, or if he pitched another seven-inning shutout like he did just a few nights ago, depending on which rich Porcello you get, mm-hmm. uh, would determine if you move on who you throw out there. Like, let's say you well, do. That's the question. Like, if you're up two games to none, I think you throw out Eduardo Rodriguez. Okay, that's what, fair. Okay. If it's a series tie, I think you throw out Rick Porcello. So, Rick Porcello is your third start. Like, Rick Porcello will be your third guy in a rotation if it's competitive, then, is what you're saying. Uh, yeah. I mean, and you talk about Doug Fister, but I mean, if you're not, if you're not starting. He's still a number five guy. Well, if you're not starting David Price, though, I think if one of these guys pitches no. terribly, I feel like David Price is a guy who take. If you're not making him a starter, he's a guy who you take out of the bullpen and then, you know, try to let him pitch for him. Yeah. No, definitely. I feel like uh, my rotation would definitely go Chris Sale starting one. You got Drew Pomeranz pitching in game two. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez thinking about number three. Porcello maybe number three, number four type starter. And then that's really all you need to do. Fister could be that type of guy like if Porcello falls off the uh, the wagon and gets lit up, Porcello could start the next series if they move over. Um, however, the Red Sox have five capable starters, which is weird because most teams feel like they only have one or two players. Um that could pitch or one or three shows. Uh, Most teams only have two to three pitchers that they could throw out there. The Red Sox, on the other hand, if they feel like they're going to get a seven-inning shutout or a seven-inning one-run game, uh, seven-inning one-run from Rick Porcello, which I don't think you can really count on. No, you can't count on it. You also can't count on Doug Fister. You also can't... uh, Honestly, if I had to tell you right now, I'd say... For your first three guys in a five-game series, you got Sale, Pomeranz, Rodriguez. And then game four, you start Porcello if you're down, if you're up. Okay? Mm -hmm. And if you're not up, you throw out Doug Fister. You see, that's tough for me because at least with Porcello, and assuming I were taking David Price out of the conversation for a minute, who I don't think is totally out of the conversation, at least not as out of it as he was for me, at my knee jerk, because of course this happened on a Thursday, so I couldn't talk about it for another week. But for me, I almost go with Porcello because at least Porcello has been consistent in sucking. Like at least you know, like yeah, Porcello's going to give up four runs. But if your offense can, but at least you know he's gonna like go through like five or f- six innings being pretty bad, and that you can that you that if anything, it'll at least put you in a hole that you can dig out of. With Doug Fister, you're like, okay, he might pitch six, seven innings, only giving up one run, but he might also, you know, fist himself and give up seven, and we have to pull him and then use, like, eight relievers, and then we're screwed for the next game because we don't have any relievers anymore because we, we're starting. So now we're using Keith Hembry as our setup guy. So I almost, assuming that if, if the season ended today, you know, I... I would almost go begrudgingly go with Rick Porcello just because at least you you can count on his badness on him being at this very level layer of sucking use the known evil over the unknown exactly 
Uh, I'm looking here at the Red Sox next few games. What they finish off a series with Baltimore tonight, and then they have they go to Cincinnati where they have Rick Porcello pitching. Should mm-hmm. win that game. Eduardo Rodriguez pitching should win that game, and Doug Fister pitching and should win that game. Whoever, perf- honestly, whoever performs the best against the Reds, I think will have a better chance of becoming that number three team. Because sure. if you get lit up by this crappy team, then we're gonna have to talk. Well, see, though, I don't really want to judge a player. See, I would be almost reserved in that because. I was saying when David Price came back. No, this is how I'll put it. Well, hang on. Let me see. No, uh, let me rephrase that. The last four games against the Astros, you're going to have Rodriguez and Fister pitching the Uh, first two games. Sure, maybe. Okay. Maybe, depending on how it lines up. Then you have Pomeranz, and it actually, Sale is pitching the last game of the season. I have a feeling that's going to change. Yeah, I, I would hope that John Farrell would do that. I feel like because uh, you have Chris Sale pitching that first game, depending on what happens with the lineup, I feel like you may push Chris Sales, who's pitching tonight, push him up to f- pitch that first game against Toronto. Or even, yeah, no, definitely pitch him on that. Or maybe even pitch him on four days rest. Or just bubble grab him, yeah. Or just don't play him anymore because he's Because the Red Sox have two of days off. Yeah. They play tonight mm-hmm. and then they don't play till the twenty second. Mm-hmm. Well no, they have one day off. Um so Sale gets one, two, three, they he pitches on four days rest. Yep. And then you have the then the twenty sixth and the twenty seventh, mm-hmm. the twenty eighth, the twenty ninth, the thirtieth, and the first. You could probably throw him out there on the twenty ninth again. Yeah, and I just I want him going into the postseason with as much rest as possible because we were talking about this earlier today and you know we don't need to go- So you pitch him on four days rest and then you pitch him the second to last game, the thirtieth, which then would give him maybe three to four days. I would rest. like to get him going as early in that series as possible though. I just like to, if you can just get him the rest, especially if you're going against the Astros a second time. Well the thing is that's impossible now. Fair enough. No, that's impossible now if okay. he's pitching tonight. All right, fair enough. Because then he is pitching. He's scheduled to pitch the last game against mm-hmm. the Blue Jays. Okay, I believe you. I believe you. No. I, I believe you, Josh. Yeah, no, I'm saying it's impossible. It's either tonight is his last night starting or he's starting that last game against uh, or he's starting that first game against uh, the Blue Jays. Okay. Well, I don't know. Maybe that last game then, if it really is impossible, maybe that's where you throw David Price out. Uh, I'm trying May- to look here. Maybe cause... that's where you give David Price a start then. Because I was, because once again, one of the things I was saying was it depends on where you are. Because if you have a game lead over the Yankees, right? Unless you need to, win, I'm, I'm saying this, assuming that they have it decently locked up. Unless you're playing some kind of game for seeding, fine. But one of the things I if we're still up by four by three games going into that four game series against yeah. the Astros, I'm not confident. I'm not super confident, but I mean, I feel I don't know. But anyway, because I think the Yankees won today. I believe they did too. Yep, it's still a three-game gap between they the teams. They are up eleven to three against the Twins. Yeah, they've been beating on the Twins. The Twins have fallen apart. Remember when the Twins were a hot team? Remember when they were a hot team and then they blew up at the All-Star game and yep. they traded away their starting pitching and their closer, and then they really turned it up again to claim that wild card spot again. Yep. And now they're starting to fall off the edge again. Yep. Bartolo Colon pitched today. <laughs> anyway, har 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 har. Anyway. On my point about David Price, when the news broke that he was coming back onto the roster, one of the things I said was, you know, I don't want to need the starting lineup, and I don't want to see them go, oh, let's see if he's okay, 
throw him out in a, like at a start against a bad team or a team that's done for the year, him this do well, and then assume that he's ready. The Yankees made a great move today. Okay. They were up big. Mm-hmm. I believe they were up big against the Twins going into the third inning. Okay. They pulled They pulled Severino. That's smart. Very intelligent. Love it. Although he threw 78 pitches, but they still pulled him yeah, early. Yeah, they're still letting him rest good so instead of letting him play in the night. He nine. is legit their best pitcher on that staff. Oh, absolutely. He's a race. So they just, I mean, it sucks for my fantasy team, but, I mean, Gary Sanchez put up 10 points today. But, yeah, Severino went three innings, giving up, uh, striking out three, and I believe giving up three runs. Um, but... Again, he's in a similar situation as Chris Sale. Yes. He's pitching on the same day as Chris Sale, Mm -hmm. so that means he's going to be pitching in about four or five days, which means you're going to be putting him right in the middle of that last series. Yeah. Where he might not get enough rest where you're going to have to be throwing out Tanaka or Sabathia for that first wild card game. Yeah, which which is not ideal. Which is not ideal. But, yeah. So, something we were talking about earlier, and also... The other point to this is that we, it, I don't, I'm not worried per se. Oh, I am worried, but we've Honestly, begun. Honestly, I think they should have waited to bring back uh, David Price, and they should have started him today. I disagree. I think it was, I mean, I like that they brought him back early because they have more time to evaluate him. Well, no, I think they should have brought him back and gave him a start or two at the end of this season. And let's say, I'm, I no, say I was I was hesitant for that just because. No, the reason I say it is if he comes out and let's say he throws six innings of giving up three runs, but you notice that the first four innings are his best innings, and then he starts to tail off through the last two mm-hmm. innings, then you can sit there and say, okay, he has his best stuff between an inning, uh, you know, three he, innings, which is perfect long relief. For the playoffs. Okay, that, that so, I'm fine with. Because I would so be afraid to throw Why my- not bring him back mm-hmm. and play him against the Orioles tonight? Yep. Gives Chris Sale an extra night I off. I don't hate that. And then he pitches the first game against Cincinnati. Okay? You see, I just, I'm afraid. And he would, no, and then Sale wouldn't be available. A, he would be available for the last game of the season. Mm-hmm. If you needed a must win. Mm-hmm. And you can keep Pomeranz healthy enough that he's available for that first game at home. That's also fair. So, I think that giving Chris Sale, and guess what? Even if you won with David Price on the mound tonight, I think you give Chris Sale two days off. You push his start back again. He needs again. rest. He need, he's, exactly. He's starting to so show signs what? of fatigue. You start him that second middle game of mm-hmm. Cincy. Sure. Which, now that I'm thinking about it, that if you start him then... You, I think, oh man, I'm trying to do this math out in my head here with this scheduling because it's weird. Because once the once they get the buy the the night off tomorrow, I think they play until they don't have a day off. No, they don't. So if I'm thinking correctly, if you pitch David Price tonight, or let's just say this, you don't pitch David Price for the next few days, you can spot start him for Chris Sale. I don't mind that, except there's this one little piece in the back of my head that's like, ooh, I don't want them to throw David Price out there, him play really well against some bad team. No, you'd be Fer- pitching against the Astros, most likely. Okay, that's a little better. But then Farrell sees it, goes, oh, he's back. Starts him in, like, game two or game three of the playoff series. Yeah, so let's see he here. He blows, and then 
We just you just cooked. So I believe Chris Sale is scheduled to pitch. Um, you got Fister and Eduardo Rodriguez and mm. Porcello against the Reds. You have Chris Sale in that middle series against the Blue Jays. Okay, on the twenty sixth. Then he has the 27th, the 28th, the 29th, the 30th off, four days rest, and then he starts again. So you push his start back. He can still do that. Yep. Okay. Which would be fine. And then you would have that last game, which Pomeranz would pitch the first game on the 30th, then Chris Sale, and then you have an off night before the playoff series, and then... Pomeranz pitches on three days rest. Don't hate. I do not hate any of this because, yeah, both. So when they brought back Chris Sale and just put him in the bullpen, I thought to myself they just gave up on him. David Price, you mean? Yeah. Well, see, I don't think they gave up on him because. No, they they looked at him and they said, you're going to the bullpen. They yeah. didn't give him a shot. Well, I haven't given up on him as a starter. No, but... I think they did this year. No, I mean, yeah, no, they, I mean, they have given up on him as a starter, which I don't mind. I think they should have given him, I think they could have used him as a spot. Sure. They still can. Sure. I don't, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean they haven't given up on him as an actual valid playoff starter, though. If they spot start him, that doesn't really mean anything about their belief in him. No, but what I'm saying, I don't ha- care about he, that. And he can play a valuable role. No, I'm, as a reliever. No, 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 no. You're not. You're getting my whole point. I don't want him starting. But the fact that they have Chris Sale starting three more times, which sucks, which sucks, which means you're gonna have to be throwing Rick Porcello or Drew Pomeranz first, pisses me off. Look, so why did they bring Chris uh, uh, David Price back so early? They gave him one rehab start and then they brought him back. Well, I mean, he's been rehabbing forever. He's been playing. He's played like four no, he no, he's been no, he's been pitching simulated games. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's been doing it for, and he wanted to come back seemingly. Which, by the way, as much you know, crap as I give David Price, they like, could have left him down in Pawtucket for another Pawtucket week. Pawtucket is done. Oh, they could have left. The season's over. That's right. They could have let him throw a couple more simulated games. No, he played so. He was getting so annoyed with these simulated games. But the thing is, you tell him to go. We're holding you out. To start you to help save Chris Sale for the playoffs. Well, no, because they wanted to see how he'd look as a reliever. Because you can still do that. Well, they've they've had more time. They've gotten to get a jump on no. him. They've gotten to get the rust off no, him. No, no, if he's not ready it. to pitch, you need to reactivate him. Yes. So you should. Yeah, that's fine. I don't think they should have put him in the bullpen, though. I do. You no. have to see him. You have to see how he does. You don't just want to throw him out for six, for four or five, six innings first. You need to at least get him a bullpen start. He can still relieve. He can still spot start. In one of these games. I think they should have activated him. Did no, he... I think they should have left him on the DL. No, why? Until today. Why? So he can, he can still spot start one of these games if need be. Or... I'd rather him spot start two so we can get a legit read on how if... hard, or how well his arm strength See, is. I don't know if he can if he could handle that. That's the thing. You don't know if he can, but if you at least do these you know, bullpen appearances, you can at least begin to work him up to that point, and maybe that's still the plan. But they still need to work him up to that point. Yeah, but it's going to hurt your other pitchers now. I don't know if it will. You know, I mean, I guess in the end, like... You're sitting here, and you have teams already preparing for playoffs. You have the Yankees. You have the uh, Cleveland Indians who are going to start resting Corey Kluber probably after his next start. Okay? And look, they haven't done it yet. The Red Sox can't do that, though. They don't have the backup pitching to do so. You are right about that. 
So why are you wasting David's price in the bullpen right now? When his maybe arm is now fresh. Oh no, he's. You know what? He comes in tonight after. Maybe Chris they don't Sale. feel no. like he can start. No, maybe he comes they... out tonight, mm-hmm. and maybe the plan is for him to start one game before the postseason. Yeah, we don't know no, that yet. We don't know that. But he comes out tonight, hurts his arm. Chris Sale or David? No, Price? David Price. Boom, gone. Chris well, Sale yeah. has to start every game. The then that means that David Price wasn't ready to go and wasn't ready to start. No, no. But what I'm no. What if he gets hit with a line drive? Oh God! We can't. We can't no, no. What that. I'm saying Wait, is, saying Chris Sale gets hit by a line no, drive. David or Price. David, okay, if David Price gets hit by a line drive, I don't know. No, but now you're sitting there. Now we're back to where saying, we were a week ago. Yes, but now you still have Chris Sale starting that last game of the season because you don't have anybody else. You could so push. They should bubble wrap David Price. No, they should have started him tonight. Oh, wait, that, what? So, so you're saying what if he gets hurt in a relief appearance, but he won't get hurt starting? No, but what? No, what I'm saying, yeah, but that's fine. But guess what? What he gets hurt tonight? Yeah, starting, Chris Sale still gets two nights off, two nights extra rest. Okay, but who do you throw in then? To I don't know, finish the game. Oh, who cares? You can throw in anybody. I don't really care. Exactly. But I, maybe they're still planning to get Chris Sellers. Maybe if David Price looks good, but the question let is, me finish. Looks as good as he's looked in these relief appearances in that second or in that third Houston game. You do put him out there. Which I'm not saying they're not going to, which, by the way, I don't trust Farrell to do the smart thing, but they still have that option, but they're at least look, they're getting a look at him to go. Because maybe they weren't confident about the elbow when they started throwing him out there. And they're like, okay, now we've seen him pitch two innings. It looked good. Now maybe he'll play a three or four relief role in one of these games. Maybe that's the plan. Maybe they have Chris But Sale. what if they go out there and they shut out all these teams and they don't need David Price? And he's sitting on, he's sitting on the bench for 10, or 10 to 12 day- games. I don't know. That's a better. That's a better position to be in. That's fine with me if they're in a position where they don't need to play anybody. At least then you have the options. You you can get these guys the arrested. The fact is, is that we can both agree that Chris Sale is tired, and by yep. using David Price in the bullpen, yeah. they are wasting an arm that not can necessarily start. Look, I'm not saying they're not going that they're going to keep him in the bullpen. They but need, what they most need to take relievers a look at him. can't pitch more than two days in a row. Right, but he okay, okay. okay. So he and starters also normally don't pitch two days in a row. Yeah, okay. but I wouldn't have wanted them. So what to... if they throw David Price out there to relieve somebody the game before uh, Chris Sale's last game? Well, now we know he ain't getting a spot start. Well, yeah, but yeah, now we yeah, know who's yeah, not starting. And we game can one. talk about it then, but they haven't done. They that need yet. to start preparing now, though. They do, but we don't know what the plan is. Also, I'm just saying that I no, would any I would freaking moron can figure out that right now the Red Sox are probably I think one or two games away from clinching a playoff spot. Yeah. They need to start resting their guys. Yeah, you're right. And they don't have the ability to because they don't have enough pitching strength you're right. to do so. So okay, that means Chris Sale is pitching that last game against Houston. Yeah. Or are you going to throw freaking Dustin Pedroia out there to throw four innings? That'd or are you going to throw? Fun. But what are you, you going to do? Throw Chris Sale out there for five innings and then throw, make like, and then out know, there? And then knowing John Farrell, he's going to use a bullpen arm for half an inning? Yep, he'll be like, Carson yeah. Smith, go out there for one out. One out. Okay, now Hembray, you get some work in. Oh, now you guys are all dead. What are you guys doing? No, but seriously, though, I would not wanted to have seen the team though activate Price and immediately have him make a start. That's too much, too fast. That's too much, too quickly. So I like what they're doing with him. And like I said, when he first got reactivated, I didn't want to see him near a start. Now I'm starting to come around on it. And listen, maybe they'll still start Chris Sale in these games, but maybe in one of these games they only have him pitch two and a half innings, three innings, then bring Price in, see how he can do in a three, four inning relief role. 
I don't know. But listen, I like, I don't, I would be more open to it, but I still don't want to see Price starting in the playoffs. If you want to have a start, spot start, that's fine, but I'm not really that concerned about that. Or I am, but what I'm thinking about right now is what the rotation is going to be in the playoffs. And David Price could play a very, David Price, Carson Smith starting to come on now. The bullpen's starting to look more promising than it has for most of the season. And David Price could play a valuable relief role, assuming that, you know, that takes the pressure off him a little bit. But, and listen, also, having David Price in the bullpen, if one of these guys sucks the first two and a half innings of the game two or game three of the series, you can pull that guy and have David Price go for four or five innings. Maybe. And then you don't have to waste as many relievers. So that's an option. But anyway, we'll move on from that. Obviously, the Patriots this weekend had a rebound performance against the New Orleans Saints, beating them 36-20 to in New Orleans. We will be talking about that after these messages. We're going to be having Job Gudrid from RealSports101.com joining us on the WXIN. We still haven't named it, but we'll eventually get some kind of fancy, maybe even sponsored name for it. At one point or another, but anyway, we're going to take a quick break. You are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN, and we will be right back with Job Gudrid of RealSports101.com. It's not the size that matters, it's the pleasure it provides. WXIN FM. experience jake elmsley 90.7 wxin we've been talking a lot of red Sox up to this point we're gonna be now we're gonna be though as we are gonna try to be every week now we're gonna be joined by joe gudrid writer for realsport101.com and uh how are you doing joe i'm doing good how you doing jake good good how was your week good good you're coming in through there excuse me coming in clear over there Yep, I can hear you clear. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you very good. Perfect. All right. Perfect. So, obviously, as I'm sure most of my listeners, or almost all my listeners know, the Patriots were able to beat the Saints last week. And, you know, it seemed like a rebound performance for the team. The play calling was better. The defense was better. Brady, who won AFC Player of the Week, was AFC Offensive Player of the Week, was Obviously, a lot better throwing 447 yards, three touchdowns in the first quarter. So, everything, from all accounts, looked pretty good before we start getting the nitty-gritty of it. But, I mean, Joe, what were your initial impressions of the game? Um, so, my initial impressions were uh, Brady did well uh, with a limited amount of receivers. I mean, the injuries just keep piling and piling up. Mm. Um, we, we had three active receivers dressed for that game, um, which worries me as we get into get into some of these games that I, I thought we would be able to win, and I look at teams around the league, and I go, we might actually lose these games. And, you know, I know we discussed last week about maybe a 14-2, 13-3 season. Mm-hmm. This, this team didn't really, didn't really do anything to, to change my mind this week. But they, I'm, I'm running a little bit scared of Denver. Um, yeah, Denver's look. Trevor Simeon has looked legit schedule. so far, yep. He's, he's looked legit, and, and it's, it's worrying me a little bit because it looks like there's more and more teams in the AFC that can contend with us, and the defense isn't really doing anything to assuage my doubts. I mean, they gave up 20 points to the Saints, who are not the best offensive team, and really their only weapon is Drew Brees at quarterback. 
Um, it made me a little bit worried. Um, I don't know. What was your take on the, what was your take on you know the Patriots as a whole and where, where we stand in the season? Well, I mean, I'm not going to give the, the defense any guff for giving up 20 points to Drewbies and the Saints. I mean, that, that no, that is a good offensive team. That's consistently a top, you know, not top tier, but a very good offensive team. So, I mean, giving up 20 points to them, also the situations of it, a lot of those points kind of came in garbage time. You know, at the beginning of the game, when it really mattered, they were able to really stop them from doing much of anything for almost all of the first half. I think they only had six points in the first half. So really, when, this one is... So when the game was competitive, the defense we was very... well when the game was competitive. Exactly. Um, they played well when the game was competitive. Was, um, I'm still a little bit worried about, you know, our overall offensive production. If, if we lose one more weapon, I feel like Brady's going to have a hard time putting a good, uh, good showing up. Uh, Tom Brady is going to throw the football well. Um, yeah, he's not going to face that defense that, every and he, week. And that defense is actually a terrible defense. Uh, you look at it, he had a wide-open touchdown um, in, the first, in the first quarter um, before. Gronk just walked really through three guys. Yeah, he walked through three guys right through the middle of the field. Um, and so I don't really know whether we're going to be able to do that every week. Um, I'm a little bit worried. Um, Chris Hogan has emerged as a weapon. Um on this offense, which is good. I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see the, the use of Burkhead. I thought that that was a that yes, was a very that was good, a big thing we talked about last week. Um, we talked about it last week a little bit on how they're going to use him and what his what his uh, usage is going to be throughout the season. Yeah, we both. Wa- I remember we um, both we both wanted to see them use the running backs a lot more in the passing game, like they have in the past that they just didn't do in Week One. And it, it seemed to be it seemed to be a little bit like Super Bowl uh, Super Bowl Fifty One. Yes, uh, to me in this week and the way we use the, the short passing routes to the running backs. Yes, and that's really the way that the team has played most of the time that they've been successful. And you know, part of that was obviously out of necessity not having any receivers, really. But, I mean, you saw the first two drives, I believe, Brady only passed it to running backs and tight ends, and they were able to march down the field both times. Uh, Tom Brady, you know, is phenomenal at hitting his target every single time, uh, something he's, you know, always going to be able to do. And it looks like it looks like this season is not going to be any different. He's not slowing down. 447 yards is uh, a pretty good day in the air. Um, but I was excited the way that he hung in the pocket. He yep. gave him a little bit of time to throw the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, our offensive line held. I mean, the defense, admittedly, for New Orleans is not. Yeah, not outside a of Cameron pass. Jordan, they don't really have any. Uh, they don't have, they're starting they don't Manteo. Really have any pass rushers, but he had time to throw the football. I mean, his receivers had time to get downfield. Uh, there was at one point where he um, he hit one of his receivers on the ten yard line. I don't remember who it was. Uh, I think it's number thirteen. Dorsett. Um, Dorsett, yeah, Dorsett on the 10-yard line. Uh, he had about 15 seconds with the football. Yeah, and you're, um, I mean, they're not going to get that every that, week. We're not going to get that every week because our offensive line is not not what it used to be. It's not what it was in 2007 or what it was in 2013 even. Um, but it was good. It was refreshing to see that Brady didn't take any big hits in this game. Yeah. Uh, he had time to sit in the pocket and throw the football. And he's connecting to Dorsett already, who's, you know, brand new to this offense. And it, um, you know, it gave me a little bit of hope for the future that maybe he can step in and fill some sort of, uh, some sort of role, almost like, uh, you know, guys in the past we've seen like Wes Welker, who just come in and just kind of mesh with the offense immediately. Uh, hopefully, you know, I'm hoping that that ends up being Dorsett's role in this, especially since we only have three healthy receivers at this point. Yeah. And, uh, and only, and only Chris Hogan's been on the team before. Yeah, and I'll say this, um, coming out of reports today, Amendola, Hightower, and Gronk were all able to practice basically fully today. 
I didn't see the practice report. Yes, today, yes, that's so, yes. So all three of those out. guys are looking like they're going to be ready to play Sunday against uh, the Texans. Hopefully they'll all be on the field Sunday because Hightower makes a big difference yes. defensively on our team. Um, I would like to see them use him a little bit more in a middle linebacker position um, as we have in years past. I still um, really want to see them use him as a pass rusher because I think outside of Trey Flowers, he's really their only other real dependable guy who I think can get to the quarterback. Which is true, which is true, but I don't think we're going to need that next week. Uh, the Texans don't scare me at all. They scared me coming into the season. I thought they were a scary team. I, I thought, thought Tom Savage was going to be a lot better than he was. Uh, and they're nowhere near as good as I thought they were going to be. Um, they've proven that in the last two weeks that their defense is not even very good. Mm. And, you know, Brady only took one hit Only took one hit in this game. Uh, it was early in the second quarter. Um, one big hit. Other than that, Brady didn't really get touched. If Brady can get rid of the football a little bit faster, um, which he typically which does, able to, which he typically does, and hopefully he'll be able to if he has Amendola or Gronk back on the field, yeah, uh, as you know his top weapons. Well, listen, I, like I want to see how they do faster. against you know JJ Watt and Javion Clowney there. So you know, so hope, the I, pass I, rush for the Houston Texans is going to be a problem. It's a top tier um, pass. I'd like to see how they play, but um, we'll we'll get to, we'll, we'll but fo- their cornerbacks are their cornerbacks are not. Um, not anything I'm worried about if we have all our weapons on the field because Brady can pick apart that defense. I, I'm confident that their offense is not going to be able to keep up with with us, even with our limited defensive capabilities. Right, and I want you know we'll get to the. I want to try to try to stick to this game and things I liked from this game, but things I didn't like from this game. But yeah, listen, you saw just the play calling was just. I just felt like out just out of anything because I I really I watched the game last night. I wasn't actually able to watch it on Sunday, so I watched a pirated copy on YouTube, which is really funny because Jim Nance has sped up just slightly. But I was able to watch the game last night, and it just felt so much better than watching that week one game. It just it, it felt like we have Patriots football again. It felt like we were watching the Patriots. About. Like they were actually using competent play calling on offense, which was just, oh, just so nice to see. But. Yeah, listen, we saw a big game from Gronk before he went down, which was something that we both talked about last week, that, you know, we gave Gronk a pass last week for going against Eric Berry. But, you know, we wanted to see him play. So, I mean, I, he right, he lived up to the expectations. He was doing what we wanted to see Gronk do, which was, you know, feast on a mediocre defense, which, which he, he did. did. He yeah. did. He did well across the middle of the field, and he also had that, that nice long connection to Brady down the sideline uh, where he was wide open because of the, the – the messed up defensive, uh, defensive uh, um, Saints, where they messed up the communication there in the secondary, and he was wide open. Only had to beat one defender for the touchdown. Um, you know, that made me feel like maybe we'll see a little bit more Gronk this week. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if he's healthy, I still think that Amendola is the key. Yeah, uh, going into the next game. I don't. Amendola gives Brady so many weapons across the middle of the field. Yeah, I'll say that, but I think if they're willing to keep using the running backs the way that they're using them, I'm not saying Amendola is expendable, but they can use Burkhead, they can use White, they can use those guys in a similar-ish role. Just if they're willing to use those guys in the slot and they're as good as they've been built up and they're as good as they looked, you know, Sunday, I'm not necessarily, you know, I think that they can, you know, they can survive without Amendola. Or with a limited Amendola, but I've never seen I've never seen such production from from James White in the passing game. I mean, eight for eight with eighty five yards. He looked excellent. That was the thing. Him and Burkhead he looked both like looked. Shane Vereen esque. They both uh, looked, and it was fantastic. Excellent. 
Gillisley also looked good on the ground. I mean, obviously, that's going against a crap front, but still, he was running with aggression. One play I really liked from him, by the way. I don't know. I think it was either in the first or second quarter. He got blown up in the backfield. He got blown up, lost about two yards, maybe a yard. But then he came back, and he ran angry for, like, the rest of that drive. He came. He had a care. I, I know. I know exactly what play you're talking about. He ran it right up the middle in the next play. If I'm not got I'm not five mistaken. or six yards, and he looked mad, yeah. which I don't. I just liked to see. That's um, what you. I like the usage. I like the usage of him. I thought. I think in future he's going to be the touchdown or the red zone back yeah. rather. Um, kind of like Legarrette Blunt. I mean, I saw an article yesterday on. Uh, and he's NFL, a far more NFL. dynamic NFL. player than Legarrette Blunt. Oh, he is much much more dynamic, but he's on he's on record to score nineteen touchdowns, which would be which would break the record that's set by you know. But, I mean, let's not, I don't think know, he'll do that. I don't think he'll do that. He's not gonna... I think he might be good for twelve touchdowns. But if we use him in the red zone and the dynamic open field guys that we have with Burkhead and White, hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to those short those short passing routes, a three or four yard pass where the, then the running back has the ball in the open field. Hopefully, mm-hmm. we'll be able to. Uh, take apart the uh, Houston defense. Yeah, and listen, that was good. I mean, I just we saw the running backs this week. Last week I was harping about them not utilizing the running backs, and this week, you know, they were able to do that, which was good. But, you know, something now, though, something I've kind of been thinking about, have you, and I'll kind of answer this after I ask you, but have you really, have you been impressed yet by Brandon Cooks? No. No, there hasn't been one play where I, where I'm, you know, eyes wide, mouth open, Oh my God, this guy is Randy Moss 2.0 uh, so far. He's had a couple a couple decent plays. He had some good go, jet sweeps oh, wow, in nice this game. Catch, uh, nice catch, or you know, I don't think Amendola would have made that play. But there hasn't really been anything where my eyes are wide. I'm going, this is this is the weapon they brought in so that we can throw that hail mary deep um, and try to get that deep threat back on this team. Gronkowski's been that guy. Yep. He was that guy this week. Um, and you know, Patrick Chung blew. Blew a, a coverage uh, late in the second quarter on Alvin Kamara, I believe. Me, on Alvin Kamara, that made me think that's that's what we should be doing between Brady and Cooks. Now, you know, now, that, mind you, me, Cooks isn't going to be. We should be doing. And, my, and mind you, know, Cooks isn't going to be getting covered by a safety, so it's not. I wouldn't say that's the fairest comparison. You know, Kamara is a fairly dynamic player for running back, and he's gonna—he's not, but he's gonna—he's a mismatch guy. But I get your point. No, and I agree with you that outside, if he had a couple of good carries in this game, bizarre the jet sweeps, which never seemed to work for this team. I haven't seen it work in a long time. Worked I can't even well. Remember the last time I saw one work that um, they worked well. I mean, Cooks had a couple of, and they tried faking it to Cooks a lot against the Chiefs, which was strange, which was how Hogan kept winding up with them. But he looked good on those. So you saw the speed, but no, you're right. I haven't seen. You know, just that one real nice deep bomb. And there were a couple of good catches in the Kansas City game that, you know, got overshadowed by just the entire game. But you start to wonder, you know, we talked about him as a guy who maybe could play in the slot, maybe could do all these other things with Edelman going down. But he never really did those things in New Orleans. He never, he has, he's never really had much. His run after the catch totals have been very low for his whole career. He's basically always just been a guy who catches it, and then that's kind of where he goes down, be it a deep pass or not. So you start to wonder, maybe is this the reason that maybe New Orleans was so willing to move on from him? Just, I mean, I, I look at it and I think, you know, even if they are willing to move on, Belichick has a way of, of taking taking guys from other teams who didn't really work out 
Um, well, but know, he worked Mike out there. That was the thing. He was and then turn, and then turn them on, and you know maybe what what they saw was a decline in, in his ability to you know get downfield. But I haven't seen it so far. Well, I'm not saying really that, but maybe I'm saying there isn't a lot. I don't think there was a no. There's no decline in him going downfield, but maybe there's not much to this player beyond that ability to get downfield, and that maybe we were which just is a, which is a terrific possibility. I mean, it would be it would be upsetting to me, you know, because the hype that we've been building on Brandon Cooks all year has been, this is the next Randy Moss. Yep. He's going to give Brady that one extra weapon that puts us over the edge so we can win again. And Brady can get a sixth ring. Um, I don't see that. I didn't see that uh, this week at least. And I didn't see it at all in the Kansas City game uh, because everything was being overshadowed. I'm not really worried about our offense for the simple reason that Josh McDaniels and Tom Brady have been in the right. same, and they the have, same you know, they have so many so weapons. And the, 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 I really think that as, as they hit their stride a little bit more and as these guys play in the system a little bit more, um, we'll see more offensive production from guys mm-hmm. like Cooks um, because uh, it's a little bit more difficult to do things that, that they normally do when your offense is, is almost totally different. And you don't have that voice in the locker room that's Julian Edelman to help these guys adapt. So, you know, maybe it's just taking a little bit longer to, to you know, start clicking and all the gears to be working on the same page. I'm a little bit more worried about our defense. Um, yeah, and that's the next still thing. still going to be the issue. Yeah, that's the next thing I wanted to get to about this team was you saw Allen Branch did not start. Adam Butler, the undrafted free agent, started at, started alongside Malcolm Brown at D-tackle. And then before Eric Rowe went down, Malcolm Butler, while he started, really was not playing a lot in this game. And I didn't see a lot of him, and I didn't see any coverages where I was like, wow, you know. No, Mal- really, Malcolm Butler, really I believe Malcolm Butler played around maybe 45 out of 70 snaps. But before Eric Rowe went down, he really was not playing much at all. And it almost seemed like Eric Rowe was the starter in this game, even though Malcolm Butler was listed as a starter. And you heard Bel- and you kind of heard rumblings after that Belichick was trying to send a message. And you heard Ninkovich. I believe it was Ninkovich who said it when he was interviewed by somebody that Belichick seemed to be trying to send a message to these guys, to Allen Branch, to Malcolm Butler, who are guys who in the preseason and in week one did not perform. You saw a lot of the pre- – Malcolm Butler seemingly struggled a lot in the preseason. You saw in the Texans game, he gave up that touchdown to Jalen Strong. He forced that fumble in the Detroit game, but he really didn't do much outside of that. And then in week one – Really, the whole secondary didn't play well, but Malcolm Butler also seemed to have struggled. And yeah, you and Allen Branch also really didn't leave much of impact. So you just you, it seems like we were kind of seeing Belichick take yank these guys and try to send some kind of a message to them, or maybe just find something else that could work. It might be it might be a little nudge saying, hey, you know, just because you you played last year doesn't mean you're going to play this year, and it's is it a clean slate? But, but I don't know. I I see it a little bit more as. He's trying to find a different combination of guys that might work in case one of these guys goes down because our defense is not stellar. I mean, we gave up a lot of big yard plays in this game, uh, especially in the second in the second quarter. Um, it wasn't a touchdown, but it was uh, a long gain to Coleman down the right sideline. Yep, where yep. Our defense just absolutely blew I it. Believe, I, I believe I Butler might have been on him on that play. Um. Where yeah, it was it was Butler actually who uh, just blew the coverage. He, he was wide open downfield for about a forty yard gain. Right, so he's um, starting he to kind of feel like the catch because of the safeties. But it was starting to feel a little bit like, you know, maybe Malcolm Butler's not all he's you know been cracked up to be over the last two seasons. 
feels like um, it, it feels so far like he's regressed going back to training camp so far in the year, which is concerning to me. Which is pretty concerning to me because, well, a, I mean, obviously you never want to see your top corner regress, but b, the secondary depth on this team looked terrible in the po- in the preseason. They really did. You, you saw know, most of the. I was impressed by was uh, Jonathan Jones um, played well in this game. Yeah, he a, he's, he's in his second year um, out of Auburn. He had a great he had a great um, defensive stop where he knocked the ball loose on what would have been a touchdown um, early in the second quarter. Would have been a touchdown for the Saints and could have changed the whole game because it would have tied it up. Um, where he knocked the ball loose when McCourty missed his tackle. Um, or not his tackle, but his coverage. Yeah. I thought it was interesting um, to see that because that's not someone who I expected Belichick to be playing in, in a red zone situation um, as a second-year guy who I haven't, you know, whose name I didn't know before this game. Um, yeah, I was interested to see that. Um, I don't know. What, do you, what did you think of the use of the defense and the, the personnel? I mean, listen, this, I mean, the, de- the defense looked better. Obviously, it couldn't not look better after one of the worst performances of the, Brid- of the Belichick era, but it looked better in this game. Now, mind you, that's prefaced with, you know, the pass rush was better, which, mind you, is definitely a byproduct of both of the Saints starting tackles being out in this game. They had to. They were both out. Yes. Bo- they, they, they would have been a big factor. Um, you yes. Know, Brady had all the control of the ball. So well, both there, is, the- there is that. And they had no on, – on, on defense, the Saints had no answer for Brady. But on offense, they really didn't have much. No, and they were able to play well. Blue coverages. And I would have – and I going into this game, I thought I was saying this was a big game for Stephon Gilmore. I wanted to see how he faced against a bigger type receiver that I think he's here to cover in Michael Thomas. And he wasn't on him the whole game. He looked decent when he was on him. Michael Thomas was still able to end the game with about 80 yards. But, you know, a lot of that came in garbage time. So I'm not going to, you know, hop on them too much. He was able to keep him in check. So I thought that was fairly promising. We'll see him have another. I, I, I'm assuming he'll also be covering DeAndre Hopkins this week, who's another one of those big type guys who I feel like he's here for. And, you know, that's another thing that could have gone to Malcolm Butler not playing as much. But. I still feel like it was a message trying to be sent, but yeah, the D-line looked better. Lawrence Guy got in there a little bit, which was, you know, nice to see. Now, David Harris did not look good in this game. He looked absolutely dreadful in this game. Which is uh, concerning he because... Missed, he had a couple missed plays where he just totally missed, missed what was going on and just wasn't a factor at all. Which couldn't get past his man. Which is concerning because he was a guy who we talked about that we really wanted to trust, but... He looks like he's slowing down, and we were worried, and both of us, I believe, were worried that age was going to be a factor with him, and he looked old. He's looked old the first two games, which is concerning at a position where they do not have a lot of depth, or really any. You know, it's interesting that you say that we don't have a lot of depth at that position, because I remember when I came in in August, and we, when I came on the show the first time, what we talked about was how much depth this roster had, and it feels like it's already being tested in week two. I'm already looking ahead to, you know, getting the chance to rest some of these guys in a few weeks when we hit our bye week because, to me, a lot of these guys just look hurt and tired. Yeah. It's only week two, so that's just not acceptable uh, to have so many guys look so bad this early in the season. And, you know, there were some, there were some highlights in this game, some, uh, you know, some big plays. Uh, yeah, there I mean, big uh, pluses and minuses on the team. I really thought Philip Dorsett showed a lot of promise. 
uh, in this game. Tim and Brady hooked up for a few long passes, and he really seemed to be getting the offense. Yeah, another another guy who I think looked very good, which especially with David Harris going, looking bad, and Hightower's health being the way it really always is. Alandon Roberts, who's a guy who I've made fun of, looked good. Looked good in this game. He got the he start. Did look good. He started at middle linebacker. He was able to get seven tackles, one assisted tackle, and he looked good in this game. And the Saints' rushing attack is no joke. Adrian Peterson, Mark Ingram, Kamara, like they have a very good running back group there. So. You know, it was good. He looked, and listen, I mean, that's his thing. He's a run stopper. That's always been the deal with him. That's why he's not going to help with the pass rush situation or any of that. But still, for a run stopper, he was good at stopping the run, which is good to hear. Which is good, yeah, to, it was good to hear that he can do the job that he was brought in to do. Um, you know, with this Patriots team, I think we're so used to seeing guys who are, you know, have multiple talents on the field who can be used for so many different things and who are versatile. He might not be that guy. No, um, but he, he was be there purely to stop the run. But if we can stop the run, it gives a little bit more flexibility to the, to the defensive coordinator, Matt Patricia, to hopefully do some different things. Yeah, um, and he looks much better in this game. His play calling looks much better in this game than it did uh, week one. Obviously, it couldn't look much worse. But there were only a few blown coverages, and it looked like even on those blown coverages, it was the right play call and just a bad play. Um, looked like bad execution, but the right the right coverage almost every time. Yeah, and the special teams looked a lot better this week also. Except for one thing that I want to get it, but like the coverage teams looked good. You saw Marquise Flowers, guys like that getting in, which is good. Because was Slater active in this game? Slater wasn't active this week, correct? I don't think so. I didn't see him at all. No, so the special teams were able to look good in spite of that, which was good. Now, one thing we saw was that Steven Gostowski in the first quarter missed another PAT, which... It's starting to worry me a lot. I was gonna. Is that we don't we don't we don't carry another kicker. So, and we we never have carried. We haven't carried another kicker. We didn't carry one in camp. And we didn't carry one last year. And they didn't bring um, in. They didn't bring in any competition for him. And we didn't bring in any competition. We had that discussion. Though was was this maybe trying to put a little bit of confidence behind him after kind of a rough year? Uh, we had that discussion. I'm worried. Yeah, um, I really am because that's a that's a PAT, and with the new rules in place, that's he shouldn't miss that. No, he shouldn't. No one should miss that. No, um, and that's for a guy who's you know, with the highest paid kicker team. in the league. I mean, highest paid or not, any kicker who makes it to this point in the league should be good on every extra point. And now they're at, they're at what twenty two yards, I believe. Uh thirty three. They've been moving. Thirty three. Yeah, but no, you're right. He shouldn't be missing that, and that's. Not, you know, that doesn't make me feel great. And he made all the rest of his it, kicks, but still, that's... So the reason that it doesn't make me feel good isn't really, you know, a scare that he's slowing down. It's a scare that maybe, you know, late in the game, it changes the way Belichick can call the game. Because if if he doesn't trust Gostowski to make a 45-yard field goal the way he has in years past, we might see a little bit more going forward on 4-2 and two, mm-hmm. or uh, a little bit more of that in the you know, the middle of the field instead of only in red zone situations or situations where we're down late in games, uh, where he typically uses the quarterback sneak. Yeah, I mean, even uh, even you saw it. Have, the better. I mean, you saw it in the Super Bowl. He missed a field goal. And then, you know, you go back to the Denver AFC Championship game a couple of years ago. It's just he He's has... slowing down, and, uh, and it, it's become a little bit more noticeable. But there aren't really, outside of uh, Tucker for Detroit, there aren't really any kickers that really stand out uh, to me for so far this season 
as uh, fantastic kickers. Um, there's been one or two, one or two who performed, you know, adequately or, or better than that. But there really hasn't been a chance to really mess up this far in the season. Uh, there really hasn't been that many misses. Well, he found a uh, chance to mess Jankowski up. Was, he, he found one of the few chances, and thank God it didn't come back to haunt us. But yeah, but listen, unfortunately, that's, mm. that's something that really scares me because this is week two, and that's a 33-yard field goal, which he should be making in his sleep. Uh, anybody should, unless you have a you know someone jumping the line and, and stopping. Yeah, him. or you have Young Ho Koon. Like that's exactly. And yeah, that that's happen. not good. It was just a blown. It was just a blown kick, and that can't happen. No, uh, for the entirety of the season. No, that was bad. That's not. That's not optimistic to see. And you know, if the game was closer, that would be something people probably would have been talking about more. But I just, it happened early in the game. The game they won it. It was exciting. But I, I don't want people to just forget about it. It, it happened, and it's a concern. But so we had a great offensive day, uh, mostly because Brady hit. So many passes downfield that normally he, you know, we can't expect him to make. He connected, you know, early in the fourth quarter with 11 minutes or so left in the fourth. He connected to Dorsett down the left sideline yep. when Dorsett had he had was covered by the safety and, and if, by his men and, and he if just D- placed it perfectly in that window. And if Dorsett can do that, do that, that's all week. he's here for. You know, if Dorsett, if Dorsett can be another guy who can just take the top off the defense, that was worth Jacoby Brissett. And him almost oh, beating, and him I almost agree. beating and the Cardinals. Jacoby Brissett, and I don't think Jacoby Brissett's really uh, that big of a loss on his team. Not at all. I was I'm still a big Garoppolo fan. I was expecting them to cut him. Not but, three quarterbacks. Yeah, we don't need to get into uh, that though. But we got somebody out of them. Yeah. Now, one thing I didn't like, I was I di- I don't like Patrick Chung being the punt returner. That's one thing so that I we've so we've spoken about this previously, and I know I know your feelings on it is is not to use anybody who we can't afford to lose. But at this point, we don't really have a punt returner. I get it, but Cyrus Jones has proven to be a a total bust. Well, Cyrus Jones is on the IR, and I'm glad he's not near it. I'm glad he's... Thank goodness goodness he's not on the the team right now. But you look at at the rest of this team, and Amendola gets hurt. We don't really have that guy who can just return it and be versatile without Julian Edelman. Um, and we don't have a you know a Danny Woodhead anymore mm-hmm. or a Wes Welker anymore. We don't have that guy. Maybe Rex Burkhead's that guy. You know, I might, Listen, I might be I don't, totally overlooking Rex Burkhead. I don't know how he does I, special would, teams. I've never Dorset seen him in special would be teams. another guy. I'd hope just because I'm just I'm worried about the prospect of Chung getting hurt because Chung I'd, is. I'd be worried about I'd be worried about using Dorset um, for the very simple reason that we don't have that many receivers left. Yeah, but just low key, um, Patrick Chung is a very important player to this team because once again we talk about the backup secondary for this team, according to the preseason, is not good. At all, so it losing losing terrible. Chung would be a blow to this team. And listen, he gave up some plays, but I've said for a while that this team is going to have trouble covering pass-catching running backs. I've been saying that since, really, since last postseason, going into it without Jamie Collins, that this team has problems with, and they haven't really fixed it. But I just, ugh, I, I saw Chung, and I'm like, I don't want Chung to now be the guy who's getting, getting his head ripped off, you know? And I, I hope that they can maybe get Dorsett to do it, or just, I don't know, one of these random guys that they've added, I don't know, because I just I I'm worried to see Chung, and I'm glad to see Dion Lewis being the kickoff return. I think he's dynamic on that. He's an injury prone player, but they don't really seem to be using him a lot, so that's fine with me. But the punt return situation is still something that I'm monitoring. I hope that it, that they don't have not now just made you know Patrick Chung the guy on that. So that's a concern. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad that 
Belichick has tried a few different things. Yeah. Uh, obviously, obviously, none of them have really worked out or stood out. Um, but I'd like to see him continue the revolving door until we find that one standout guy. Or just a guy who they don't care about to get hurt. That's all I care about. Or, yeah, somebody, somebody who's just going to get hit, and they're okay with you know losing him for a couple games because they can pick up somebody else on the waiver wire, maybe, or free agency. But really, what we need is we need these guys to not get hurt. And I'm, I look at the team, and I, we went into the season with so much depth on offense, so much depth. We were thinking, oh, Brandon Cooks is going to be that one weapon that puts him over the top. And now I'm looking at Brandon Cooks, and I'm going. If Brandon Cooks and Gronkowski aren't both on the field at the same time, can one of them really be effective? Because we've seen in, year, in years past, a number one corner can shut down, a, you know, a receiver one on one. It can happen. It happened last week against against uh, Gronkowski, where he wasn't a factor against Kansas City, uh, mainly because one of the one of the top defensive players in the league, and Eric Berry was was covering him. Yep. We need multiple weapons, and I, I'm worried about the depth in this team. Yeah, it's some holes in the depth are really starting to show up. I always knew there were going to be the holes in the front seven, but to see all these holes now starting to emerge in the offensive skill position players, that's a problem. But anyway. That is a problem, and, you know, we're only in week two. Yeah. Now, moving on, kind of want to talk about the other the other side, I guess. Something I just want to start talking about is I'm starting to really think that we're going to see Drew Brees on another team next season. That's an interesting, that's an interesting thought. I mean, he's going to get paid. Um, you look at the contracts for quarterbacks across the right. league. Now, he's, he's a 39-year-old guy, and he's going to be a free agent this offseason, this coming offseason. So I'm starting to wonder if the Saints, who are 0-2 right now, are not winning a lot of games. Maybe we'll look at this upcoming draft class, which is supposedly you know, rich with quarterbacks. There's going to be four, five, maybe even six quarterbacks right now who would be going in the first round. So maybe if the Saints are in position to get one of those guys, maybe they're not so open to re-signing Drew Brees because you would assume it would be on a one-year deal, but also there might be a team out there that would be willing to offer him a two- or three-year deal, and maybe the Saints wouldn't be willing to do something like that. Because I would imagine this team would probably be best inclined to try to hit the reset button at this point. I wouldn't be surprised to see Drew Brees move this season. Um, you know, maybe that's a hot take. And okay. Maybe that's an unpopular opinion, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him move before the trade deadline um, to a team that really is struggling to find a quarterback option. You know, even Sam Bradford, who's supposed to be back this week, is, is, is you know, hurt. There are a lot of teams across the league who have either injured quarterbacks, like mm-hmm. Andrew Luck and the Colts, or they have no quarterback, and they're trying to figure it out as they go. A team like I the mean, Texans even, or something? Yeah, exactly. That's I'm hot. Thinking, that is hot. Texans, and I'm thinking, you know, Watson, Watson has not proven to be a quarterback that can really play in the NFL so far. He hasn't been. What Denver is, is that's Trevor Simeon has been amazing. Um, but other than that, there aren't really that many outstanding quarterbacks across this league where you look at them and go, yeah, his job is safe. Um, you know, maybe someone like the Dolphins decide that maybe they get a better chance with Drew Brees than they do with a guy that they just paid $10 million for a one-year deal. Yeah, um, that's that's an interesting thought, too. All that is, that the fact that, I mean, may, you know, I, if, they're, if they are willing to hit the reset button, they decide that, which they should be, because they've been terrible, and the entire roster is a mess. So they probably would be better off just committing to a new quarterback. But, you know, I mean, yeah, that would be a good point, too. Maybe they're willing to, maybe they're willing to do, you know, we saw a salary dump with Brock Osweiler, an NBA-style salary dump trade. Maybe they're willing to rent out Drew Brees. That's I, wouldn't, a, I wouldn't be surprised to see Miami make a strong push for him. I mean, Jay Cutler's been good so far, but by it's no, only been by one no game. Means great, um, by no means great. 
Um, and they have they'll get Tannehill back hopefully next season. Um, and he's a, he's a strong quarterback option as far as this league goes. Yeah, I'm not I sure about be that. Surprised to see. Well, across the league, I don't really see any quarterbacks that really scare me, except you know Roethlisberger, uh, Derek Carr, Rogers, Aaron Rogers, and Tom Brady. There aren't really that many other quarterbacks where I look at them and go, "Wow." Well, well that that's underselling it. That that that's underselling it a little. I mean, you have guys like you know Matt Ryan, Cam Newton, but sure. I'm not, sure. No, but there are teams that there are always teams that need quarterbacks. No, and if you're a contending, maybe the Jaguars, the Jaguars might be interested in a guy like that. That's an interesting point. But I think either way, there's a good chance that we see if it's in the middle of this year or next year. I don't think that Drew Brees is going to be with the Saints next season by any means. I wouldn't be surprised to see him retire actually by the end of the season. Um, But if he doesn't, I would see him moving on from New Orleans. I agree with that. He's done there. I think. That, he's going to want a little bit more pass protection uh, than he's getting in New Orleans. Just a at defense. 39 years old, he probably doesn't want to get hit um, as much and as hard as he's been getting hit in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And he probably wants a few more weapons. And I'm, I'm looking across the league, and I'm looking at these quarterbacks who sign big deals. A lot of them are signing deals when they don't have that many weapons. But Buddy. a one-year deal for, for you know... Drew Brees might be a good move for some NBA, uh, some NFL teams. That you're not wrong. No, that's a good point. That's something interesting. Anyway, though, Job, uh, it's been great hearing from you. You you have been listening to Job Gudrid of RealSports101.com. Check him out there. He is going to be calling in each and every week here in the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley. So once again, thank you for calling in, Job. We'll be seeing you next week. See you next week. Thank you. We'll be talking. uh, Oh, hang on, hang on. What's your prediction for? uh, You know, let's start doing this. What's your prediction for the score this week? Patriots Texans. Oh, okay. Um, I'm gonna go with 35-14 Patriots. Really? I feel like You're... I feel like our our defense could hold them to 14 points. That offense has been underwhelming um, so far. Uh, for, as far as I'm concerned, they don't really have a quarterback option, and I feel like that defense is scary. But Brady just lit it up. Amendola's coming back. I'm feeling good about this next week. Um, and we'll find out on Sunday, but hopefully hopefully we look at another Patriots victory this week. I'm going to go a little less than that. I'm going to say, and I don't really think we've ever really done these on this show, I'll say 27-10 for the Patriots. I think the defense is going to get them more trouble than that. I do. So I, I, you know what this, you know, last week, you know, this week against the Saints, this was a get-right game for the offense. Going against a crap defense, you know what? This is going to be, you know, the get-right week for the defense now. Oh, I, I would love to see that. There's nothing I want more than to see our defense really light it up. You know, against this is going to be the week underwhelming offense. Exactly. This is. They can, hopefully, they can really show us that actually they're starting you know, to fill these holes and improve. That this would be the week for that to happen before you know going against the Panthers. But anyway, thank you for calling in, Joe. We'll be seeing you next week, and we are going to be taking a quick break. You are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. When we come back, we will be joined by David Cusack. We're going to be talking about some fun stuff that's been going on in the news right now. Anyway, though, we will be right back after these messages. You will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. This is 90.7 WXIN. Stadium 
GM Experience. Jake Elmsley here with Dave Cusack. We've been talking to Josh Percy about the Red Sox. We've been talking to Joe Gooders about the Patriots. I cried about Andrew Bogut for just a little while. But now we're going to move into some people that I don't like doing things that make me laugh. So first, Dave has something for me. I have something for him. So I believe this was, yeah, yesterday in response to Santana Moss coming out and basically saying all this stuff about how RG3 wanted, you know, Mike Shanahan fired, wanted Kyle Shanahan fired, how blah, 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 wasn't willing to work, wanted new coaches. But then when Jay Gruden came in, Jay Gruden was as hard as him on him, and he didn't like it. And Santana Moss, who obviously played for the Redskins while RG3 was there, RG3 was there, was saying all this stuff. And then yesterday, RG3 went on a Twitter rant in response, saying, No subtweeting needed, Santana Moss. I treat you like a brother, and I've always had your back. To openly lie about me is a betrayal. Been lied on a lot over the years. Putting in an impossible situ- put in an impossible situation with a coach who never wanted me made players like Santana Moss a believer through hard work, film study, showing up early, leaving late, putting in the extra hours, staying after practice, and getting work in. We won the division that year. Next year, coach wants out, says he wants out, says he never wanted me as a QB, and I get blamed? Come on, man. I have have been the good soldier. Some so desperately want me to fit this negative narrative that has been pushed about me, but I don't fit it. Never have, never will. So RG3 is taking uh, taking a break from playing basketball with 40-year-old men to uh, defend his own honor, and God, this reminds me of why I hate RG3. <laughs> man, that, that's, it's just, it's funny, man. That, that whole, everything around that organization the past few years has just been this. It's just it's been, been this. Fu- it's just it's been this, this. And this listen, and I've never really liked RG3 because he just always, to me, and maybe this is just me reading him and trying to be a yeah. play psychologist, but he just always looked to me like a guy who, he always felt kind of entitled to me, if that makes sense. Like, he felt like he was as good as he needed to be, that he was, you know, ready to be a star. He had, like, a symbol made when he got drafted. I don't know why, but I remember that that kind of pissed me off for some reason. He had, like, a logo made when he got drafted. It's Bob Griffin. Yeah, like the RG3 logo and, like, putting in hats and stuff. I called him Bob Griffin. I liked him. I wanted to see him do well, but I also called him Bob Griffin because yeah, and- he came up in a league with this RG3 persona like you haven't done anything in the league exactly. yet. Exactly. He just came in like he was ready to be the guy. And you can, un- and, you know, you can kind of feel like that would lead into him. And then he also never... And listen, he got hurt, and he went down. Obviously, that's going to affect the quarterback. It's going to affect his athleticism, but he never seemed like he got he improved on his fundamentals at all from his rookie year. Also, just just one of one of the things he said. Well, hey, okay, sorry, I finish. From a technical, I'm not sure how smart I am. From a technical standpoint, his footwork got worse the longer he was in the league. He never developed an ability to read defenses because that offense that they went ran his rookie year with Shanahan. That was a, that was a gimmick. That offense was never sustainable, no matter if he had gotten hurt or not. That offense was a gimmick. That was, you know, 2012, 2011, when, you know, read option athletic quarterbacks were really taking the league by storm. And RG3, you saw Callan Kaepernick was able to succeed. Russell Wilson, you know, younger Russell Wilson before he developed into the more, you know, mature quarterback that he is today. Cam Newton even, like guys like that was succeeding because the NFL wasn't ready for it. But obviously, you know, after the league adapted, you saw a lot of those guys, or at least the ones, you know, who didn't adapt 
weren't able to succeed anymore when they were forced to actually, you know, rely on more traditional quarterback skills. And you saw RG3, he was never really developed the ability to read defenses. His footwork never got better. So, you know, that kind of goes to the theory of, you know, he was like, he thought that he was as good as he had to be. And, you know, everything else around him needed to improve. It just, I don't know, just something about the way he carried himself always made me feel like he wasn't a guy who took responsibility for anything. And then when he's out here saying, well, I worked hard. I showed up early, like RG3. That's, that's exactly what I wanted to talk about. Can we please kill this first guy in, last guy out? You're not the cliche. only guy to do that, RG3. Everybody is the first guy in, last guy out. Everybody. <laughs> like, exactly. I read that and I said that in our group chat to Spaz. I was like, does RG3 think he's the only guy who's doing that? Or you think you're the only guy who's working hard? So when they yeah. tell you, like, hey, you need to become a little bit more of a pocket passer, you can go, no, I don't. I'm RG Heisman. No, I don't. I work hard. I have Dr. Pepper commercials. Like, I don't have listen, to change anything or do anything. I work hard. And listen, Mike Shanahan was also a dick. I'm not saying that. Mike Shanahan was a dick. He obviously, he benched him at the end of his second year, which, mind you, probably was a better thing to defend him. But also, you had... You had to kind of feel for the guy because you also had RG3 who was taking like plane rides with Dan Schneider to give him the ability to pick like the 2K uniforms or something. Like he was just having like special meetings with Dan Schneider. He obviously loved this guy. A 2K thing comes from a place of reality. Exactly. And you know, he was going away being with the owner and then it just, I, I don't know. This RG3 just doesn't scream accountability to me. What I do buy of what he said is the part about having a coach that didn't want him. Yes. I can buy that. Yes, and that's absolutely that. part of it. But also, you know, Shanahan had some legitimate points to that. Shanahan tried to... I remember reading when this was... Because I tracked this so much. I just hated RG3. So I was just so on top of this, like, four years ago. Shanahan was trying to, you know, get him to be more of a pocket passer. And, you know, seemingly the reports were that Bob was rejecting that. Which, y y you kind of need to be able to do that to succeed in the NFL. I've never bought into this idea that, you know, you can just strictly be an athletic mobile quarterback and succeed because you can't. I mean, defenses figure that out pretty quick. Exactly. Because once again, you saw that that little, that little year, year and a half long window where well, that was viable. That was working. Even the Chip Kelly offense was working for the year. That was the year that Nick Foles was outstanding. No, no, I thought Nick Foles was going to be. I did too. Nick Foles was the next because, you know, kind of a lot of that spread offense, a lot of the option offense was really working because the NFL wasn't used to it. But after they adapted, it wasn't working. And you know, RG3... Seemingly wasn't willing to adapt and, you know, take on these more traditional quarterback routes. Oh, another thing that a tweet that wasn't there, but that I saw him say was he also said something about, oh, I went to Cleveland and I was a captain, got hurt the first game, played hurt, made my teammates a believer. It's like, yeah, but like, dude, like you got hurt. Like you're not the only person who plays hurt. Like you're not the only person who got voted a captain. Then like, isn't like, like most people play hurt. You can't, you like, can't it, say uh, you have an injury. I just feel like you think, oh my God, he just feels like the guy who's just like, I don't know, like telling people that he's at the gym given 110% like really needs to make that obvious he's LeBron in it and he's just taking he selfies is from the you gym you know what he is like that's why I don't like him I don't he is like LeBron but without the success LeBron is always up on Instagram being like look at me working out with my new best friend Kevin Love you know like, what you know this. what that is it I've never put it together like the five years I've spent like developing my hatred for this guy which by the way I'm really glad that this is happening because I can talk about it because frankly it would have been pathetic for me to talk about it otherwise because this guy's not even in the league but that is it he's like LeBron without the rings he is he carries himself like LeBron especially when you see this like he's just going around talking about how hard working he is and how much better everybody else needs to be around. that's it he's like LeBron 
but he doesn't have the success. Yeah. That is RG3, and that's why I don't like him. He just has all the unlikability of LeBron rolled up into a little with a little bit more Christianity. And I, I, I see. And a couple AIRP commercials. I, I wanted him to do well. Like I really wanted him to do well because I, you know, I like, I like watching mobile quarterbacks. I like. Yeah, they're uh, fun to watch. I just don't think it's a sustainable. No, it's not. It's not sustainable. Exactly. That that's why pocket passers have been around forever. But uh, it's not going anywhere. The po- pocket passing game is not. Yeah, going listen. Anywhere. If you can have mobility. And this is another point I made that Drew when we were talking. Yeah. I don't know if you read this kind of magnum opus, because, but yeah, we talk about this. And listen, Russell Wilson is a mobile quarterback, but you saw and kind of to draw the parallel between you know him and you know not being political, but to draw the parallel between him and Colin Kaepernick, their career trajectory. You saw Russell Wilson in his early years was a compliment to that Seahawks defense. But you saw once he was will- once he adapted, once he learned how to read defenses better, learned to play from the pocket more, and instead use his mobility as an added weapon. That's when Russell Wilson took off into the upper epsilon of quarterbacks. I was I was watching. This was a while ago, but it was uh, NFL Network Top Ten, and it was doing top ten mobile quarterbacks, and one of them was Dan Marino. And Dan Marino's level of mobility was I can avoid a sack. <laughs> Sometimes that's all you need. <laughs> right, like I'm saying, but. You can, I'm not saying that you, can't, that you can't be athletic and be a quarterback. No, absolutely. But I'm saying that if you're willing, like Russell Wilson, to adapt, learn how to read defenses, get better footwork, play from the pocket, and then use that mobility as an added weapon, then you can be very successful. But, you know, if you're a player like, once again, not getting political, but if you're like Kaepernick. You can just talk about him. Uh, you, don't, you don't. You don't need to say not getting political. You, know, you can just you talk don't, about him. You don't improve your game. Kaepernick never really learned how to read defenses better, how to go through his progressions. Look what, you know, he's a guy who should be in the league, but even he's a guy who should be in the league as a backup. So meanwhile, you have Russell. He should Russell, be in the league in some capacity. Yeah, he should be he in the league. He could start he, on some teams. He should be in, okay, but he should be in the league as, you know, the backup to Russell Wilson would probably be the best position for him right now. But, you know, those are two guys who are both athletic quarterbacks. They came in at the same time early on. It was like, oh, this is going to be like, you know, the next great quarterback rivalry. One of them adapted. One of them learned how to play some of the more traditional aspects of the quarterback position. One didn't. And, you know, now Russell Wilson is probably a top 10 quarterback. And Colin Kaepernick should be in the league as, you know, the backup on the Bills or something. If you're a quarterback and your only skill it's being mobile, you're really bringing a knife to a gunfight because it's like, yeah, it's a skill. It's a good skill to have. But when you're facing a, a quarterback, if you just rely too just much stand, on that mobility yeah. and you think it covers for your ability, you know, and you don't really learn the deep. You need to look at the other quarterbacks you're facing too. If you can go going up, against, if your team is going up against a quarterback that can stand there and just pick you apart in the pocket, and you're you're playing from behind and all you can do yeah. is just run around. Yeah, and, and if you can, but if you not going to work out. But if you can learn to stand in the pocket, pick a defense apart. But then use that mobility just to like pick up like a third and eight. Then once again, you can be a top ten quarterback like Russell Wilson is. But you know, if you don't, you don't learn the mental aspects like RG three, Colin Kaepernick. You're not going to be in the league, or you should be the backup on the Bills. But uh, but Nathan Peterman's in. I love Nathan Peterman. But that's my point. Is that yeah? Ha ha. RG three. Ha. Haha, <laughs> I don't like you for some reason. You see, this is where you and I differ. I don't I don't dislike him, you, you know. See, I just I and I, I rooted for him for a while. I thought him and Andrew Luck was going to be like one and two going forward and that was going to be like 
great to watch. See, I for loved years Andrew Luck from the start. Um, like you know everybody else on the planet. And I wanted to. And I like. I do like mobile quarterbacks. They're fun to watch. I love seeing him succeed. Uh, I, I. He just. He. He just doesn't. I don't think he. I think he has the ability to adapt. I just don't think he's willing to adapt I, because he, I think he thinks that he should. You know be able to play his game and he look you have to have that confidence as a professional athlete but i think that he thinks he, he doesn't I need seem to coachable. play my i need to play my game he's not he's not a coach. everyone else needs to adapt. he just doesn't seem like he's coachable in that well yeah that's that that's the thing and it's you know you know i i kind of want to i guess put blame on both sides here because if you have if you have a feeling that you know there's there's a coach that doesn't want me um, that's it's gonna be really hard to take advice from that person. But yeah, but then he also you know, the, he, he the had the two time. years with Jay Gruden there, and he still seemingly wasn't able to take coaching. They benched him the last year there, and you know, Kirk Cousins took yeah. off. So but, obviously, you know, whatever they were telling him wasn't wrong. Well, that's, that's the thing, and that was gonna be my next point. At the same time, you know, you have two coaches. At a, at a certain point, you got to look at the common factor, and sometimes the common factor is you. Yeah, and, you, and like I said, you saw Kirk Cousins, who was there the exact same time as him, and you know he got better. And now you know he's a guy who might be who I like a lot. I've always I liked. Oh Kirk my God, no, I don't. I hate Kirk Cousins so much. Do you? I, I just I know. I think I just think everybody's way too high on him. Oh, I've always been high. I've been I high really on him since do. like day one. And I, I really, I really think I was he, high on him like when he was at undes- Michigan. I don't, I don't like people who are like undeserving of hype. I just, I don't think he, I think he's been great his whole career. I've been way, I've been see, I've been hyping him up since like the beginning though. So seeing everybody else jump, jump on the hype, I'm like, yeah, I was ahead of this, everybody. I've loved Kirk Cousins since like day one. But like you know, but early in his career, he didn't look as good as he does now. So you know. There was some merit to whatever coaching RG3 wasn't taking, is all I'm saying. So, I don't know. It's just funny. But anyway, the next thing is, which I really, I haven't been following this story too much. You've been giving me updates, but, I've been, but since I decided that I wanted you to tell me this, I've been trying to not hear it. But what's going on with Kevin Durant, Dave? All right. So, uh, Kevin Durant has a Twitter account that he uses to reply uh reply to people that are making negative criticisms of him and we found that out because he tweeted something from his official account that was supposed to be from that account so uh someone someone here uh tweets man i respect the hell out of you but give me one legitimate reason for leaving okc other than getting a championship and uh kevin durant responds he referring to himself he didn't like the organization or playing for billy donovan his roster wasn't that good it was just him and russ um, and and that's just the, he says he says another one where he says uh, KD can't win with those guys, um, which when you know when you know the context of all right well he didn't think that you know he thought that this was a different account where it wasn't it didn't say yeah, Kevin yeah, Durant yeah, yeah, yeah he had this. a separate the, the account that he, was separate was like it was under a different name that's why he was saying KD but man I really just wanna I just wanna believe that Kevin Durant calls himself KD like he just refers to himself in third person Dave really wants to believe that KD talks about himself in third person because that is hilarious and <laughs> so yeah, just, Kevin Durant now it just paints this image of Kevin Durant because I'm I'm looking I I googled Kevin Durant tweets so I I, I was looking at like a lot of stuff he's been saying not just not just now but like stuff you know stuff he was saying back in like 2010 on Twitter and uh it lend it, it paints this whole picture of a man who is just dangerously unhinged and that's the vibe I'm getting from Kevin Durant right now what <laughs> are some of these tweets do you have any good ones any safer um, safer air ones let me uh let me let me get one up let me get one up for you right now uh all right 
uh, hashtag in high school, I had a crush on a girl named Mona, and we played horse to see if she would be my girl, and she had a S and quit, shaking my head. <laughs> That's one that I, I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, let's see, let's go to the top. Uh, Scarlett Johanniason, I will drink your bathwater, hashtag random. <laughs> what is random about that? <laughs> I mean, I mean, lots random about that. What do you mean? That's not just a normal everyday what conversation is, what topic. What is hashtag random? All right, all right. Uh, it's cracking in Taiwan. But I'm wait, what are what are these all? What are all these tweets from? This is my favorite one. These are from like 2010. Okay, but they're all real Kevin Durant tweets, and this is my favorite one. It's cracking in Taiwan, but I'm getting a massage, and this lady put this hot ass oil on my back, so I'm about to fart. Hashtag get back. <laughs> okay, and the part of the story that I have been following, and that's all hilarious, and we'll get back to that all in a minute, but probably the most surprising part about this story is that, I believe it was yesterday, Kevin Durant was doing some kind of a press conference, and yeah. he just owned this. Yeah. Did you see this, Dave? I didn't see the full press conference. No, I've been I've been busy, but he... Um, Kevin Durant absolutely just I've read that, owned I've read, it. He's like, yeah. yep, that was me. I've been using a fake account to respond. I'm sorry that I insulted my coaches. He says he hasn't been able to eat or sleep. And my, I didn't um, hear that part. Yeah, he says he hasn't been able to eat or sleep for two days. He immediately apologized to Billy Donovan. Just when you just when you just um, when you f up and now you're just nervous about. Then you just you just can't you just keep like you're now you're just like everybody hates me. Uh, they didn't before. Yeah, now everybody hates me. I was so loved before. What am I gonna do? But it's just. But it, it's. I it's, was a Finals MVP. It's funny, but like it's also kind of sad. I, I think it's hilarious. I, I think I, I. I love seeing that all this hate is getting to Kevin Durant because he deserves it. I mean, I think it's. I think it's just sad because it. It just really just shows that how you know you can't take Chris. And I know we've talked about taking criticism before when we were talking about uh, the whole Sergio oh, yep, Dip yep. thing. And it's like Kevin Durant. You know, he is the second best basketball player in the world. Right now, I think yep. we can say, except for RG three, and he's <laughs> against the forty year old dudes. But he's he he left he left OKC. He left a lot of damage in his wake when he left there, and he knew he left with bad blood. You he also, he didn't damage to, the entire NBA. You kind of need to be able to to take these things, and you kind of need to be able to at least, if you're gonna refute them and if you're gonna defend yourself, defend. Don't, don't make, make a, a fake, fake account. Twitter account to make it look like you are, like. It's, does Kevin Durant just not think that he has? Does Kevin Durant just have nobody defending him on Twitter? And you think no? You you know people are gonna find out. Does Kevin Durant just have? Does Kevin account. Durant just have no fans on Twitter defending him? So he's like, I got, I got to. How do you know this is his only fake account? Now every time anybody defends Kevin Durant on Twitter, you don't know. Yeah, I'm gonna be like, "Is this Kevin Durant? Oh, like, are you Kevin Durant? Like every time somebody's you? like, "Hey, he's his own man. He can go win a ring." I'm like, "Are you oh, Kevin? Are you, are you Kevin Durant? <laughs> are you KD? KD don't appreciate those accusations." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, this is wonderful. The guy is such a pussy. I love it. Oh, oh my god! I love sitting in this chair and making fun of Kevin Durant for making his millions and being a successful athlete. Oh my god! I agree. I He's love sitting in this ro revolving just, office chair. Just do do please Google Kevin Durant tweets. Do yourself that favor. <laughs> They're so funny. All right, I go. Hashtag you ever wake up in the middle of the night and think about a girl you like or starting to like and sit on the edge of the bed and say, "Damn, I want her." What? what? You, ever, you ever do that? You when? ever do that, Jake? Uh oh, all the. I mean, no, I never sit in my bed and think about woman. Nope, that is strictly. You only think about sports. Uh, 
<laughs> exactly. I sit here. I'm like, I'm like, all right, the Patriots won this week. How am I going to make this negative? What's my negative spin on this going to be? Ooh, Dostalski missed a kick. Thank God. These are. I'm. I. I have a, a really good feeling. I'm going to be reading some of these tweets on my show tomorrow because this will. Yes, these are funny. This. This is wonderful. Um, this is a. This has been a good. This has been a good week for stupid sports stories. If you like stupid, if you like athletes doing dumb stuff on Twitter, this is this has been a good week. This has been a good couple of God days. God bless Twitter. God bless Twitter. Anyway, with with all that out of the way, it's that special time of day once again where we say goodbye here from the Stadium Experience. So yes, you have been listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Helmsley, Josh Percy's been in. We talked to Joe Gudrid. David Cusack is in right now. Thank you to everybody who participated. Thank you to everybody who's listening. Now, if you've been listening to the episode and you didn't hear some of it, or you had to leave early, well, I guess you wouldn't be hearing it now. But if you want to hear some of the beginning of the episode, hear middle parts, just want to listen to it again. This episode, like all episodes, will be uploaded to the official Stadium Experience SoundCloud and to the official Stadium Experience iTunes account. So if you want to download the episode or listen to it again, just look up the Stadium Experience, W slash Jake Elmsley on iTunes or SoundCloud, and take it with you. Listen to it on your phone, whatever you got to do. But anyway, with all that out of the way, we'll be back next week, Wednesday, 4 to 6 p.m., talking about whatever's going on. So, anyway, brave the hurricane, everybody. Have a lovely week. Have a lovely weekend. And we'll be back.